Once you found your place there in Romans 8, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be reading from verse 11 down through verse 16 as we continue in this series on the Holy Spirit, understanding who He is and His purpose in our, our lives, those of us that are saved. Verse 11 begins, But if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And tonight I want to preach a sermon entitled this, How the Holy Spirit Makes Me Holy. How the Holy Spirit Makes Me Holy. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight that you'd uh, embolden me, empower me, and Lord, may I preach your word, Lord, may you preach through me. And this isn't about Pastor Lejeune. This is about the Word of God being thundered forth and, uh, Lord, uh, making an impact in our hearts. I can't change a person here. I can hardly change myself. But you can change each one of us. And so, God, hide me behind the cross and allow the power of your Word to, uh, to effectively change us. God, may we be open to that change. May we be open to the truth. My prayer tonight, God, is that each one of us here would be more uh, in touch with this concept of a Holy Spirit that lives in us and wants control of us, and that we would turn over full control to You beginning tonight. May You, through that uh, control, transform us and sanctify us. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. By way of introduction, I want to give a little bit more attention to a verse in the, in the chapter that, um, uh, outside of the introduction, we really probably won't visit the rest of the sermon. Look back uh, there with me. Uh, let's see. It's uh, verse number 12. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Debtors. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Um. You, uh, you got to choose who and what you want to be a slave to. Because we're all slaves. There's not a person in here that isn't a slave. And I don't mean to use that term in a way that diminishes what's happened in our nation's history or what, even what happens around the world. But I think the parallels are pretty, pretty strong. Um, if you're a slave to sin, then... Um, there's a lot of pain that comes with that. And Christ saved you, and in so doing, He literally walked into your prison. He stuck a key in your shackles. He unshackled you, and He walked you out of that prison. And He's saying, now, you get to be my servant. And I'm going to treat you a whole lot better than you were treated in there. Unfortunately, a lot of people turn back right back around, and they run right back to the prison that they have been freed from. You're a debtor, but you're not a debtor to your flesh. You're a debtor to the Lord, and I'm a debtor to the Lord. Now, God does not do anything by accident. doesn't do anything by accident. Take uh, how that the English language describes our moral extremes. You ever notice that the word good, God, is good? How about the word evil? Devil, evil. You think that's an accident? I think uh, our language is kind of, language kind of points to a creator who designed that language. God is good. The devil is evil. Um, how about the name of the Holy Spirit? I believe that that name was carefully crafted by God to describe His essence, Spirit, and His purpose. His purpose is that He is to make us holy. Make us holy. 
He is the Holy Spirit. Yes, because He is holy. But we know that God is holy. We don't call Him Holy God and Holy Jesus. We call Him Holy Spirit. Not just because He's holy, but because it is His duty. It is His job. It is His responsibility. It is at the core of who He is to make us holy. That's what He is to do. That's why He is called the Holy Spirit. Because it is His responsibility to take us sinful people and turn around and make us holy. Now, all throughout Scripture, we are commanded by God to be holy. Leviticus 11.45. Listen to these verses. I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, uh, God says here to the Israelites, He says, you are brought out of Egypt, which is a picture of sin. Uh, you've been brought into the wilderness and uh, I have delivered you from the, your taskmaster, you being a slave in Egypt, just like God has delivered you from uh, the, the taskmaster of Satan and a slave to sin. I have delivered you from that and I am calling you to be Holy, holy. More about that word in a minute. How about 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16? It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or all manner of your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, this morning we talked about how that we need to look up to Jesus and desire to mimic him and become like him. What is this verse saying? What is Peter telling us here? He's saying that Jesus, God is telling you, I am holy. I want you to mimic my holiness. You ought to want my holiness in you. You, want, you ought to want my holiness to embody you. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Follow peace. Follow holiness without which no man shall uh, see the Lord. So, how do you define holiness? How do you define holiness? Well, I have it defined this way. Holiness means uh, set apart and away from sin for a sacred or a righteous cause. Set apart or set away from sin for a sacred or a righteous cause. Now, uh, it's not enough to just separate yourself from sin. We separate from sin so that we can be connected to our Savior. Alright? If you separate from sin and you don't connect to the Savior, you're nothing more than a Pharisee. There's a lot of people who hold their lives up to a high standard and they're separate from sinful behavior, at least outwardly, and they walk around acting like they're better than everybody else. Don't you do that. Don't do that. You can be set apart Yes, you're set apart. You're set away from sin. Why? Because God has called you to be His workmanship, as we talked about this morning in Ephesians 2.10. Uh, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It's that, it's that salvaging of the life to be repurposed, refurbished unto good works, holiness. Uh, take your Bible over to Romans chapter 7. And look at verse 18, and we find here the conflict, because I can tell you, standing right here behind this pulpit, dressed in my suit, with a Bible in front of me, preaching that Pastor Lejeune wants nothing more than to be holy. And I believe that everyone under the sound of my voice right now, you want the same thing, don't you? It's not just that simple, is it? I want to be holy, but can I tell you something? Between now and next Sunday, I'm going to probably commit several sins. I don't want to, but it's going to happen. Look at verse 18, Romans 7. Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I want to do it. I can't figure it out. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. Paul says, I want to be holy. But I just can't figure out how to be holy. He says, there's good I want to do, I don't do it. There's evil I want to stay away from, I end up doing it. Verse 20, now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. 
I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul is saying here is there's a war inside of me. Intellectually, I want to be holy. But I have this flesh that won't let me be holy. Will not let me do what's right. This morning, we talked about trying to become sanctified through the efforts of our own flesh. That's what we talked about. Becoming sanctified through the efforts of our flesh. We said you ought to have trembling about that. Trembling about that. Um... Most of, I'll just be transparent, most of my Christian life, I've been saved for almost 30 years, far more than half of my Christian life has been lived by me trying to do good by good habits. I'm going to please you, God, because I'm going to train my flesh how to please you. I don't think I'm alone with that, am I? You can't do that. Now, let me try to explain this. Me trying to accomplish the work of sanctification through the efforts of my own flesh is like trying to wash yourself in a shower that only puts out mud and dirt. You get in that shower and you turn it on and here comes this dirty, mucky, muddy water spraying out the shower head. You're in the shower, you've got a bar of soap and I mean you're trying to wipe it off just as fast as it's coming on you. You'll say, I'm, I'm clean. Well, you might be cleaner than other people that aren't trying to wash the mud off of them. But you're really not that clean. Can we just be honest tonight? The way you look at church, who you really are on the inside, oftentimes they're not the same thing, are they? We put out this front, this facade. Oh, I got it all together. And that's from the pastor on down. Inwardly, we're a sinful, disgusting mess because we're trying to clean ourselves up through our own efforts. And that's why Philippians 2.12 we looked at this morning said, Work out your own salvation with fear, reverence toward God, and trembling, anxiety. Anxiety that I will try to be sanctified through my own efforts. The truth is, you cannot. Look, if the Apostle Paul can't do it, Do you really think you can do it? Do I really think, am I so naive to think that somehow I can please God and become sanctified by working on it on my own? That's not going to happen. So, we need a spiritual bath. We need someone that is pure to cleanse us from within. That's what the Holy Spirit was given to us to do. That's His purpose. Again, we don't call Him Holy God while He's holy. We don't call Him Holy Jesus while He is holy. We do call Him the Holy Spirit because He was given to the Christian in the church age for the purpose of making you holy. Not from the outward appearance in, but from the inward appearance out. The truth is, Christian... The Holy Spirit wants to call the shots. He wants to have control. He wants to help you toss out sinful habits that ensnarl you. And get you, and what He wants to do is get you to be repurposed for the work of Christ. But He's not going to force His way around inside. Not going to do it. It's a daily, moment-by-moment choice going to give the control over to you. To you. I propose that a heart that is submitted and devoted to Holy Spirit control is a heart that can be transformed into a cleaned up, God-approved, sanctified Christian. I believe that if you and I will yield our spirits to the Holy Spirit, then He will work in us a life that effectively touches others for the good of the gospel and the betterment of humanity. Romans 8, we are shown five items, five items the Holy Spirit provides to the Christian that wants him to transform and sanctify his heart. 
I believe that if you let the Holy Spirit change you, then He will do so. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail miserably. Fail miserably. And don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to become a great Christian for God through your own efforts. You can't do it. You let the Holy Spirit change you, then He'll do it. You've, your job is not to try to change yourself. Your job is to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit change you. Let's look at these five, uh, these five items out of Romans, five, Romans 8 rather, that the Holy Spirit provides us. Number one, notice, the Holy Spirit provides freedom from sin's consequences. Freedom from sin's consequences. All of my points tonight will begin with the Holy Spirit provides. If you're taking notes, you can write that at the top. And then one, two, three, four, and five, I'll give you five things the Holy Spirit provides. Five items the Holy Spirit provides. Freedom from sin's consequences. And here we see the very, very first step of sanctification. Look at uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. Romans 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now, here are the consequences, no condemnation. So, freedom from consequences. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who... Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Look back at verse 2 there. It says, for the... Can we read those next four words out loud together? Law of the Spirit. Again, ready? Law of the Spirit. So there is the law... And then there's the law of the Spirit. Well, what is the law of the Spirit? What does it do? We see there the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What does it do? Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Free from the law of sin and death. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the law was given to man for the purpose of showing him how flawed he was. Remember we talked about how that the law is temporary, the grace is permanent. There was grace there for Adam and Eve when they sinned. There was not the law until Moses came around. Moses came on the scene and God gave Moses the law. There will be a day where the law is done away with and we live in God's grace forever. So you have the law, which is this very temporary thing uh, uh, in the grand scope of eternity. But God's grace stretches from infinity that direction to infinity that direction. What is the purpose of the law, the Mosaic law, the moral law that's been given to us? The purpose of it is to show us that we absolutely cannot keep it. Galatians says it's our schoolmaster. It schools us. It says the mark is perfection and you fall way, way, way short. The law is harsh. The law is harsh. It says keep the whole thing, never ever messed up. If you do not, then you must be punished in hellfire. That's what the law says. The purpose of the law is to, is to demand the impossible. By itself, it's incomplete. By itself, it condemns. By itself, it reeks of pain and suffering. Why? Is the law flawed? No. We're flawed. We're flawed. The law is perfect. But we're flawed. The Holy Spirit comes along with grace. And what does it do? It completes the law. It completes the law. The law says, you have failed. The Holy Spirit says, yes, but I'll forgive. The law says, the wages of sin is death. The Holy Spirit comes along and he says, uh, again, with grace, he says, yes, this is true, that the wages of breaking the law is death. But, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law by itself is harsh. The law by itself reeks of pain and suffering. The law by itself smells like, uh, uh, like, like brimstone and fire and hell. But then grace comes along and it makes up the difference where we fall short. Now, it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You see that in verse 11 of Romans 8. And it is the Holy Spirit who cleanses the sinner from his sin, and he uses the blood of Jesus to do it. How does this Holy Spirit, though, make me holy? 
Well, he begins the very first step in the process by washing away the sin stain off of my eternal record. And by doing this, he also washes away the consequences of my lawless living. So what does the Holy Spirit provide in terms of becoming holy? Well, number one, he provides freedom from sin's consequences. Let's look at item number two the Holy Spirit provides. Notice here the Holy Spirit provides fulfillment of the law's righteousness. Fulfillment of the law's righteousness. Look down to verse 4 of Romans 8. It says there that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Take your Bibles back over to Romans 7 and look at verse number 1 with me. Here, uh, 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 God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us a beautiful illustration of this idea of, uh, of, of having the law of righteousness fulfilled inside of us and through us with the Spirit. Look at verse number 1, and this might seem off topic, but he's going to take something off topic and draw a beautiful parallel or use this off topic idea to illustrate perfectly this idea of uh, being separated from our punishment and brought into, united with uh, the, the, the fulfillment of the righteousness of the law. Look at verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Alright, so again, let me pause it right there. Yeah, this is drawn up for us. You have a woman married to a man. She's in a miserable marriage. She's not happy with the marriage. If her husband dies, she's free to remarry and she's not living in adultery. But if she looks at her husband and she says, I'm miserable in this marriage, I want out. And she leaves her husband and marries another. The Bible says she is living in adultery because God still sees her as being in that first marriage, okay? So you have this woman who is uh, 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 living in adultery or a woman whose husband dies and she's free to marry another man. Everybody see the picture here. Look at verse 4. Wherefore, so built on that concept, my brethren, ye, all, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit Unto God. There's a story about a woman who is married to a very uh, taskmaster, overbearing, uh, um, uh, micromanaging, uh, unloving husband. And this husband was so unkind that every day he'd get up really early. A man who's very structured, went to bed at the same time, woke up at the same time. And he'd get up every day. The very first thing he'd do is he'd sit down at the desk there in his office of his house and he'd make up a to-do list for his wife. He wrote out every item at the grocery store he wanted her to buy. And he, he had done the research to see what was cheapest that week. He would write out for her what meals she would make and what time he would be home and what time he would eat it. He would write down for her what items of his he was to take... She was to take to the dry cleaners while he was at work. A very long, arduous, detailed list. And some of these lists, certain days, would be pages and pages. And, and uh, uh, out of character and out of obligation in her marriage, she fulfilled these lists day after day after day, but did not enjoy them. One day, her husband suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack in his early 50s. And she was uh, free to remarry. God brought love into this lady's life. And she married a husband that was the polar opposite. Instead of being the taskmaster, uh, crack the whip, uh, to-do list pushing husband, he was a very kind and caring and loving husband who gave of himself to his wife and doted all over her and cared for her and loved all over her. And several years went by and one day she was up in the attic uh, cleaning out uh, 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 just boxes of junk as uh, uh, that can happen in time. And her new husband moved into the house that her and her old husband had lived in. And she's up in the attic and she pulls open a box. And inside that box were cataloged and filed by the day, by her previous husband, uh, the to-do list that she had been given and the check marks next to them. And she began to pull them out and look over them. And she said to herself, wow, you know, she brought them down and showed them to her new husband. And she said, I'm doing everything that's on this list 
for you. But I enjoy doing it now. I hated doing it then. You know what the law says? It says, obey or else. The Holy Spirit comes along and He says, let me dote on you. Let me love on you. I am that new spouse. And now, now we can do so much more for the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us fulfilling the law of righteousness in us. Again, look back at verse 4 of Romans chapter 8. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, to use this analogy, this wife was obeying by the flesh her first husband. This wife was obeying by the Spirit her second husband. There were people who did their best to follow the law. By the way, religions that are law-driven... Rule-oriented, and there's Baptist churches this way, by the way, but follow these rules and you'll get God's pleasure. You know, people might obey, but it's out of obligation. You begin to learn, you have this Holy Spirit who's trying to make you holy from within. And you turn over the reins to Him and you submit to Him, as we talked about this morning, that always obeying out of Philippians 2.12. He begins to do a work in you. And then you find yourself obeying, not under the, the whip of a taskmaster, but you find yourself obeying out of love for appreciation for what Christ did for you on the cross and the work the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. Today, if you're here and you're married to the, the husband of the law, let me just tell you that Christ slayed that husband on the cross and you don't need to be married to that law anymore. You can now be married to Jesus Christ. By the way, that does not mean that the law doesn't matter. He came to fulfill the law, not take away from it. But now we obey because His love constrains us. It pushes us. Not because it beats on us and requires of us. The work of sanctification done by the Holy Spirit. The cleansing up. The, the, the new shower of the Holy Spirit cleaning us from the inside out. What does He do? First of all, He provides freedom from sin's consequences. Second, He provides fulfillment of the law's righteousness. Notice number three. The Holy Spirit provides fruit through the believer's flesh. Fruit through the believer's flesh. Look, look down at verse number 10 of Romans 8. It says there, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also, look at this here, quicken your mortal bodies. Quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. There's a whole lot more doctrine here that I'm going to have time to get into tonight. By the way, uh, theologians, most theologians' favorite chapter in the Bible is Romans 8. It is beyond deep. You could spend a lifetime studying Romans 8 and not exhaust it. And I'm definitely not going to do that in a 45, uh, 50 minute uh, long sermon tonight. But uh, uh, looking at this topic specifically, look back at uh, verse 11 there. It says that Christ... Uh, or that the Holy Spirit uh, will quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. What does that word quicken mean? It means to, to make alive, right? To bring to life, to quicken. When, when uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, He quickened him. He quickened that dead body. So here's the process. Romans 8, 10, and 11 is describing. We must wake up every day and slay the desires of our flesh. Submit to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then goes over to that dead flesh and He uses it to do something great for Him. I want you to begin to think of yourself as a puppet. You are a puppet. Your flesh is a puppet. Every day you allow a hand to be put into the back of that puppet. And that hand controls you. Let me give you some hands here I wrote down. That control us. The first one I wrote down is the hand of self. The hand of self. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I call the shots in my life. Yeah, go ahead and let me know how that works out for you in 10 to 15 years. Doesn't work too well. Um, the hand of self. How about the hand of sinful impulses? 
well, you know, I know I probably ought to read my Bible and pray before I go to bed, but, ah, man, one more episode of this series I'm watching on Netflix. And, you know, those kind of have cliffhangers on them. One more and one more, and you turn around, it's two in the morning. And then obviously you're not going to wake up in time to read your Bible in the morning. You barely get to work on time, and then you're a grump all day. Why? Because you've allowed sinful impulses to guide you. A drunk or a man struggling with alcohol drives past a liquor store on a Friday after he's been paid, and he allows the sinful impulses, the hand of sinful impulses, to control the puppet of his flesh. He stops and buys that 12-pack goes home and drinks it down. You think of uh, men who struggle with lust. By the way, women struggle with lust as well. That first look, that first noticing of, a, of, of, of someone dressing immodestly, it's not sin to notice at a glance. It is sin to look back the second time. When you do look back that second time at that magazine cover at the store, that female that walks past you or that uh, store advertisement in the mall, the first time at the glance wasn't a sin, but the second time you look back and you stare, boy, that's the hand of, the, that's the hand of sinful impulses that's controlling your flesh. That's not Holy Spirit controlling you, that's sinful impulses. How about the hand of stubbornness? You come to church here three times a week. You hear me preach three times a week. Plus a Sunday school teacher, that's a fourth time. You know what happens? We get inoculated to preaching. Well, the pastor preaches on something that we know we struggle with. And maybe you tried to battle it like years ago, and you gave up because you just couldn't beat that sin. And then stubbornness settles in. Yeah, I'm not worried about changing that. And I revert back to this morning's message, and I want to ask you again the same question. Do you want to look like Jesus or not? Do you want to become like Jesus or not? you got this sin in your life, and you've settled on the mountain of sanctification, and you say, I'll just wait till I go home to be with Jesus and let Him carry me up the mountain. No, my friend, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. That ought to be your attitude. Higher ground. I want to be more like Jesus. More about Jesus, what I know. I want to grow in my knowledge of Him and I want to set aside that hand of stubbornness that puts it inside my, me as a puppet and controls my flesh. No, instead, I want to have the hand of the Holy Spirit of God controlling this flesh. Did you know that you can teach a Sunday school class and do it in a way that does not please the Lord. You know, you can captain a bus route. And God look down and shake his head at it. You can be a deacon, a pastor, work the nursery. You can come and attend church week after week, month after month, year after year, for a lifetime. And God holds his nose at your religion. Because you're doing it through your flesh. You're not doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sunday school teachers, don't you dare teach a class at this church without having submitted your heart to the Lord and having Him teach through you. The hand of, his, the, 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 hand of the Spirit needs to be quickening your flesh and doing that work through you. Don't you dare preach a sermon in this church uh, in any aspect, in any role, and do that through your flesh. You're wasting your time and God's holding His nose at your religion. Don't you dare uh, come and sit on the pew of this church and, and put in your time for the Lord and say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm fulfilling some sort of spiritual obligation. No, you come to church through the power of the Spirit of God and you let Him speak through you. Christian, your life is going to produce fruit. That fruit will either poison, be poisoned or contaminated, or that fruit will touch lives and help others. And that fruit will embody what God created you to do. That fruit will be the fruit of the Spirit as well. And that only will happen if you submit your heart and you tell the Holy Spirit, provide your fruit through me. There is this pious pharisaical concept of sanctification I want to address today as well. 
that somehow being holy is also being secluded like a monk and just reading your Bible and praying. I had a pastor one time have the audacity to make this statement. And I mean he had the audacity. I could, I was, oh, it, it was like fingers on a chalkboard. Here was the statement. He said, he said, you've heard the phrase, the man that walks with God will arrive at his destination. He said, the man that walks with God has arrived at his destination. My friends, walking with God in Bible time and prayer ought to encourage you to get up and live the Christian life. It isn't the embodiment of the Christian life. Someone with this attitude one time ran into D.L. Moody. And uh, this man claimed to have a on-the-mount-of-transfiguration experience for five years. Mr. Moody asked him, he said, how many souls did you lead to Christ last year? Moody bluntly asked the man, uh, 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 Moody bluntly asked him that question. The man said, well, I don't know. Have you saved any? Moody persisted. I don't know that I have, the man admitted. Well, said Moody, we don't want that kind of mountaintop experience, do we? When a man gets up so high that he cannot reach down and help save poor sinners, there is something wrong with that man's sanctification. You weren't saved to act like a holy Joe, holy roller. You were saved to get down in the mud pit of sin and help pull other people from it. The Holy Spirit provides freedom from sin's consequences. It provides fulfillment of the law's righteousness. It provides fruit through the believer's flesh. Number four, notice the Holy Spirit provides a father through the Spirit's adoption. Look at verse 15. A father, a father through the Spirit's adoption. Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba, it translates to our word Daddy. Daddy, it's an endearing term. Um, I'm amazed in 2018 how many boys are raised without a dad. And how many boys are raised in homes where the dad's there, but he's not really there. You know what I mean. This is not a political statement, so please don't take it that way. But I, I read a statistic recently about these um, mass shooting down in Florida. The statistic said out of the last 47 mass shootings that have taken place in the United States of America, 46 of them were done by boys who were raised by somebody other than their biological father. Now, we're not here to debate how to fix the problem, but can I, can I put forth one solution? Men need to be dads. And be there for your son. Don't be a derelict dad. Don't be an absentee father. You get down in the trenches and you enjoy your, your boy's life while he's there. You, 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 you love your sons and you teach them what being a Christian is and what integrity is and what manhood is and... And uh, if you have daughters, you love those daughters and you show them the affection and care uh, and the respect that they ought to have. Those of you here today that were raised without a father in your life, can I tell you that God wants to be the father that you never had? The word Abba is a very important word to me and I use that word often in my prayer life. Now, Satan stole away our eternal father when he tempted an Adam and Eve into sin. We're like spiritual orphan children prior to the day we're saved. Then one day you put your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He drafts up adoption papers. He slides them across the table and he says, Hey, God's already signed. He wants to adopt you. He's waiting on that faith signature. And the day comes that you pick up the pen and you put it to the paper and you say, God, I want you to be my eternal heavenly father. And he says, the deal is sealed. And the Holy Spirit, through the provision of those papers, he brings about that adoption of our daddy, our father. 
I like this song that says, I'm adopted, hallelujah, I finally belong. I'm adopted, hallelujah, I sing a new song. I've got a brand new family overflowing with love. I'm adopted, I'm a child of the King. You say, well, pastor, prove that I'm in God's family. Well, let me give you an A and a B here. Notice letter A, our sonship, our sonship. Look down at verse 16 of Romans 8. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, examine that verse with me. Notice the Spirit, capital S, Spirit. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. The, ca- the Holy Spirit itself beareth witness. Beareth witness with what? With our little less spirit. And so you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your mind, will, and emotions or your heart. He takes up residence there. He begins to live there. And He's there waiting for you to give over the control. And it says there that the Holy Spirit bears witness with your little less spirit that we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. And so if you uh, are questioning whether or not you're saved, I want you to stop, confess your sin, and ask the Holy Spirit of God, am I in the family of God? There will be a confirmation there by Romans 8.16 that you are saved. You are saved. A great phrase someone shared with me one time about um, uh, uh, assurance of salvation. It's this. If there is no conviction for sin, there's been no conversion from sin. There is no conviction for your sin. There's been no conversion from your sin. You can steer your conscience. You can't steer the Holy Spirit. Our sonship. You know what happens when Matthew goofs around? He gets called on the carpet for it. Today we are home and Angela and I are trying to have a conversation in the kitchen. And uh, he has his little friend over. And man, they got rambunctious and loud. And I call them in. I say, hey boys, inside voices. You know what I'm doing? I'm being a daddy. I'm correcting these boys. You know what God does when we step out of line? Hey boy, behave yourself. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He kind of pricks you on the inside and says, hey, that's not right. That's not right. Hey, you, you took a double look at that girl that walked past you. That's not right. Hey, you, uh, you coveted an item that belongs to someone else. That's sin. Hey, you let a dirty word slip out of your mouth. That's wrong. You, uh, you, 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 you skipped church last Sunday and you know you're not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hey, that's unrighteous. That's ungodly. That's not what I called you for. And the Holy Spirit very quietly and calmly pricks you on the inside and He says, Hey, uh, you are in the family of God and you're not doing right. Letter A, our sonship. Letter B, notice, our sibling. Oh, I love this. Look at verse 17. Well, let's start in verse 16 again. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Here's the benefit. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know who Jesus is to me? Yeah, he's my Savior. John 15 says, if I keep my commandments, he's my friend. You know what else he is? He's my brother. I am siblings with my Savior. Siblings with my Savior. I'm here today to tell you tonight that I am part of the family of God. And part of being uh, in that family is that Jesus Christ is my brother. One mistake I think a lot of people make is they superimpose their, their father's weaknesses on God. They assume that God treats them the same way that their earthly father treated them. Or that God is absent in their life the way their earthly father may have been absent in their life. And I'm here to tell you, you need to mentally wash away all of those thoughts because my heavenly father is perfect. He's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. How does the Holy Spirit make me holy? Well, He provides freedom from sin's consequences. He provides fulfillment of the law's righteousness. He provides fruit to the believer's flesh. He provides a father through the Spirit's adoption. Notice number five, the Holy Spirit provides fire to the Christian's sanctity and glory. Fire to the Christian's sanctity and glory. Look back at verse 17. 
I feel like we're getting set up a little bit here in verse 17. Look here. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, if the verse stopped there, you go, wow, this is awesome. I'm in God's family. I've got siblings in Christ. And Jesus himself is my sibling. But we're being set up here. Look here. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may, all, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For if the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the Son of God. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to use an illustration with you tonight. In my home, if my children break the rules, they disobey, they lie, they steal, there's a bad attitude, I, as a dad have a job to perform justice in the home. Now, can I tell you something? There is a, an adrenaline rush that is felt when you disobey authority. feels good. Some of you know because you did it at work last week. There is an adrenaline rush that comes with telling a lie and getting away with it. When I catch my children in sin, I want to show them that it hurts it hurts more to do wrong than it feels good to do wrong. You with me tonight? I'm trying to teach them, hey, stay away from sin because it hurts. Yeah, it might sting a little today. It's going to destroy you in the future. Now, there's a trade-off. I'm trying to teach them that it is more painful to do sin than it is to get away with sin. Here, the Apostle Paul is telling us that Yes, you're going to suffer pain for Jesus. But the glory is greater than the pain. The glory is greater than the pain. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And uh, verse number 7, the Bible says there, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christians buck and run from and cannot stand pain and hurt and suffering. But Christian, if you want to be made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to be willing to suffer like Jesus did. I stand over here in my frail, weak flesh, my sinful flesh, that oftentimes I don't submit to the Holy Spirit like I ought to. And I look at my Savior with... Nail prints in his hands and his feet, filled with grace and love and forgiveness. And I look at him and say, I want to be like you. I want to become like you. I want to push away the sin. I want to submit to the Holy Spirit. Let him change me. I want to become like you. And then when he says, okay, well, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you uh, 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 freedom from sin's consequences. And I say, oh, yes, please sanctify me. And then he says to me, okay, if you want to become like me in my image, I'm going to give you fulfillment of the law's righteousness. And I say, oh, yes, please sanctify me. He says, if you want to become like me, then the Holy Spirit's going to give you fruit uh, 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 through your flesh. And I say, oh yes, I want your fruit. Please sanctify me. He says, uh, I say, I want to be like you. He says, okay, if you want to be like me, I'm going to give you a father uh, that's perfect and without fault. And I say, oh yes. And then he says, but then I'm going to give you fire. I'm going to give you fire and suffering. And I'm going to give that to you uh, to, for your sanctity and glory. And I say, oh, hold right there. I want the freedom. I want the fulfillment. I want the fruits. And I want the Father, but I don't want the fire. And God says, do you want to become like me? I want the power of your resurrection. Yes! He says, if you want the power of my resurrection, you're going to have to experience the fellowship of my suffering. And he says this, he says, in Romans 8, he says, the way that's done is that you're ran through a time of suffering so that you will be sanctified and glorified and made in my image. Tonight, Christians, some of you are going through a very difficult trial and a struggle. You're carrying a heavy weight and a heavy pain. And you don't see why a loving God would let you go through that, but what you fail to realize is that the Holy Spirit is trying to work a work of refinement 
He's trying to bring the dross to the top of your life to scrape it off so that you will be more pure and you will be ready to be presented holy. Holy. Holy is purification. The process of purification is oftentimes painful. When God sends a trial in your life, embrace it. Embrace it. Because in that moment, He's trying to make you into His image and likeness. Pastor, why do I have to hear about cancer? Pastor, why do I have to hear about strife uh, in my family relationships? Pastor, why do I have to go through a hard financial time? Pastor, why do I have to get laid off? Pastor, why this? Pastor, why that? And I step back and I say, God is trying to cause you to suffer because the glory that He's going to give you is greater than the pain you're experiencing. The question is, do you want Him to sanctify you or not? Christian, you do a great thing for yourself tonight that instead of bucking away from that suffering that comes from being like Jesus, you embraced it. And you said, my flesh doesn't like it, but my flesh sure needs it. Oh, that White Oak Baptist Church would be filled with people who seek to be more holy. Oh, that White Oak Baptist Church from the pastor down, would allow the Holy Spirit to make us holy. How about it tonight, Christian? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Is the Holy Spirit making you holy, or have you shut Him down? Have you shut Him down? You say, oh, I got this, Pastor. I can behave. No, you can't. Nope. You're standing in that shower, mud water spraying all over you. You've got a bar of soap out, and you're doing your best to wipe it off as fast as it hits you. You just keep being filthy. Hey, Christian, you've been coming to church for a long time. You've been trying to do this be holy thing all on your own for years. Are you tired yet? The Holy Spirit says, if you'll just submit to me, I'll do it for you. You're not always going to understand it. You're not always going to like it. But I promise you, you'll enjoy the end result. Holy Spirit, is He making you holy or are you busy trying to make yourself holy? God... Tonight, may we put down our hands and stop fighting against your spirit. May we turn over the controls of our heart. May we allow you to sanctify us, to purify us, to set us apart and away from sin for a great, great cause. Or may we embrace your work. May we give it over to you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. The invitation begins. The altar's open. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you letting Him do His work in you?